Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Welcome back. Here it is again. We're doing the Association Strong Podcast. And this is a pretty unique one, isn't it? It is, man. I am loving life today. It is Friday. We're only 20, what, 23 days away from the end of 2020. Now, why do you have to go and put a timeline on it, dude? People are going to be listening to this in a year from now. You just dated it, brother. That's like a no-no in podcasts. It's Friday and and it's 2020. Hey, two. <laughs> no, we're going to keep it going because that's just how we roll, right? No. So but what I was saying to you, what I was prompting you, this is kind of the ping I was doing is like, we got a guest with us today, which is kind of unusual in our podcast. We usually just like to listen to ourselves talk. Oh, well, you know, I'm excited about it for that one reason for SIG, because I've seen SIG around. We've connected virtually a lot via LinkedIn and stuff, but I've never actually had a chance to talk directly with SIG. So I'm excited to hear what's inside this thing up here in his mind. I'm really glad you're, you're joining us because uh, I've run out of things to talk to Tom about. And SIG is, so as I think a lot of people know, I'm the entrepreneur. Tom is the association exec. SIG is another tech entrepreneur. SIG built and sold Nimble, uh, Salesforce-based AMS uh, Community Brands owns it, actually much like my last company, Community Brands. And Sig, what else of significance can you tell us about your background? Tell, tell people a little bit about who you are. Well, I'm a software developer by trade, and I I'm actually did a little bit of software development this morning. I, I truly enjoy it. Currently, as you, as you stated, I sold uh, Nimble User, the company Nimble User, which is the manufacturer of Nimble AMS to Community Brands in April of 2017. And I worked there until this summer when I started a new venture called Gojectory, where we implement Salesforce, so Sales Cloud, Support Cloud, Marketing Cloud, Community Cloud. And now I think with the acquisition of Slack, probably something like Communication Cloud into professional and trade associations and C3 nonprofits. So it's kind of where I'm spending my yeah, time huge, now. Huge, huge news, by the way, Slack, uh, which actually has an amazing history. There's a great podcast called How I Built This with Guy Raz, and he interviewed yeah. the founder of Slack. I forgot his name. Do you know? 27 billion. 20, yeah. You know, it's, you know I, I just thought it was ironic that there's a company named Slack that yeah. sells for $27 billion. So Salesforce bought Slack this week for $27 billion. There I go. I'm dating us, Tom. Now, that was my fault. So $27 billion. That's also three commas, by the way. Remember that, three commas. When you get three <laughs> commas in your sales price, you've done Butterfield. Something. That's it. So and for the listeners of this podcast, I want you to know we're actually doing this live. We have a live audience with, our, with us. And uh, our friend here, Jacob, just said it's, it's Butterfield. I forget his first name. Like, Chris, Bob, Brian, Butterfield, I don't know, something like that. So Butterfield, the founder, he's got a really amazing story. If you want to hear how Slack came to be, uh, Google Slack, Butterfield, uh, Stuart Butterfield, thank you. He's got a really, really cool story of how he tried to build another business. I, I think I want to say it was a- uh, It was a video game company. Okay, video game they, company. They were building a video game company and they had this product called Slack that they used to communicate with each other. Video company, it worked so well, but that took off. And speaking of podcasts, the podcast that that's on is how I built this, and that is a great podcast. It across is the phenomenal. Board. Yeah, 
I actually saw Guy Kawasaki live interview uh, uh, the founders of a lobster uh, lunch spot that has just taken off around the world. But we saw him in Boston speak, and that was just that was such a great date night for me. Yeah. So anyway, enough about Stuart Butterfield. Enough about Slack. Sig, really, really glad to have your perspective here to talk about data. So that's the topic today. And when I say it like that, it sounds really boring, but it's actually kind of interesting because historically associations in particular have dealt with behavioral data and transactional data. And what we're trying to do, what the premise behind PropFuel at least, what, what we're trying to do is bring this concept of contextual data to the table. And so let, if I could, let me start there by explaining what contextual data is. And I'm going to do so with an analogy. And I, I usually go with the baby or the doctor. I think for today, I would actually wrote a blog post about the doctor analogy this morning. So I'm gonna use the baby analogy for, for this particular podcast. I, I have three kids. Sig, I know you've got kids. Tom, you've got kids. So three we've all been we've all been up in the middle of the night. In the background there. Ah, and your pictures and your yeah, we can see your video. Probably not good for a podcast either, is pointing to a picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, generally, again, another no-no in, in podcasts. Don't point to pictures and reference them, right? So we, we've all got kids and we woke up and this is all about, this, I'm explaining what contextual data is. So, so you wake up in the middle of the night, your baby's screaming, crying, and you go into the room and there could be a number of things that are upsetting the baby, right? It, it could be gas. It could be something's filled their diaper. It could be that they're hungry. It could be, I don't know, do babies have bad dreams? I would imagine they do. Night terrors. Yeah, babies though? Anyway, so regardless, any number of things, it could be a, a bug that's, that's biting it, or it could be a, something poking it that woke it up, or, or a noise that's heard. You don't know what's going on, so we have to take some guesses. So the first thing we do is we go in there. I don't know about you guys. First thing I would do is I'd sniff the diaper. You know, that's, it sounds gross and I certainly wouldn't want to do that with somebody else's kids. That's another story altogether, but you sniff the diaper, right? You're getting some data. And that's, I would say that's- Is that's, that what you call it? I'm going to tell that I would my call daughter that, next time she goes in the room with her child. You need get to get some, some data, data. I would call that behavioral data. <laughs> right, definitely. <laughs> All right. So, so you got this behavioral data and then you're looking for more, maybe transactional, maybe behavioral data. And I think the difference between the two can be confusing at times, but uh, you feel the stomach. If stomach's hard, it might be gassy. It, the baby might be gassy. You're going to try to feed the baby, whether with a bottle or, or if your spouse is around, maybe that's a better way. But at some point you're going to feed the baby. And then at some point, sometimes the baby's just lonely. So eventually you guess right and the baby calms down, everybody can go back to bed. Wouldn't it be nice if you could go into that room, baby's crying, what's the first thing you would say to the baby, Tom? If, if you walked in the room, the baby could talk to you, what would you do? When you walk in the room, baby's crying, what would you do? Say, what, what's going on, what hurts? Yeah, what's the matter, baby? You know, what's, what's going on? Now I say baby. that to my wife every day. <laughs> and the answer <laughs> to that question. Or you could do it like full metal jacket. What's your major malfunction? Why am I up in the middle? <laughs> the answer to that question is context. Why are you crying? Right? Otherwise, what we're doing is we're looking at the data, the diaper, the stomach, the how the baby reacts to food. We're looking at the data and we're reacting to that. We're taking guesses first. Which one? Where do I start? But if the baby could say, I'm freaking hungry. I haven't eaten since five. You know, no problem. Let's, let's take care of that. Done. 
or maybe might say, so that's the analogy that I wanted to use to describe what contextual data is. Now we're so used to transactional and behavioral data, but we don't have a lot of sources of contextual data other than picking up the phone and talking to people, but that's hard to scale. So Sig, let's start with this. Can you, I, I said a minute ago that behavioral and transactional data is hard to, some, I don't know, it, it, they blend together for me. Can you draw a line in the sand? What's the difference between behavioral and transactional? Well, transactional be like, what have, like in a terms of say an association, like what have you done here? Have you attended events? Have you paid your dues? Have you renewed? You know, those type of things. So you and mean have you, you mean like the act of renewing and the act, that's yeah, transaction. Yeah, so right? there's a transaction, there's a financial transaction, right? That backs it up. What product did you buy? What did you, did you go on an online community? and make some posts, you know, what- no, wait, Wouldn't that or, be behavioral going on to an online community? I would think- Yeah, so. but there's some transactions. I guess it's a line that's kind of blurred there, right? Where, you know, there's transactions involved, there's a post, but that, it, yeah, that is, a, that, is a, that is a behavior, certainly. But I think, you know, if you look at what generally, like if you were to say like, what's generally in the AMS system, it's transactional data, right? It's dues have been paid or they've attended a conference, they purchased something. And the behavior data might be something else. So an LMS system, for example, or a like higher logic type system, community type system. So if I could just chime in here, Dave, the way I look at it, because we do this in our association is we have three different types of members. To me, someone that makes a post is an information only member. So we, we put ours in information only. So that's people that take advantage of things like our benchmarking reports that pay no money for it. It's just included in the dues. And if you actually expend money to us for anything, that's a non-meetings, just services. That's a transactional member. And then emotional members are members that come to have personal contact. They come to meetings and or they are volunteering. So that's our three buckets of types of members because we want to know who's in getting taken advantage and spending no money, who is actually spending money extra overdues to buy stuff, and then who is actually coming to meetings and volunteering. So that's kind of our three dynamic sets of members that we track in those three buckets. So are you, what I'm hearing from you guys is there really is a blurry line between behavioral and transactional. There is. I'd, I'd be opinion. curious. Like I said, this is a live podcast. I'm going to ask our participants here to jump in. I want to hear their opinions of what is behavioral and what is transactional. Because I would argue, and I don't know the answer, but I would argue that they are not the same thing. I think behavioral is the things you do that you're physically doing, you're going somewhere, whereas a transactional is buying something. It's interesting. Paula just jumped in and said behavioral is clicking on a link. I would think that's transactional but again so obviously we're not experts on the data i always say transactional but, to me is when money's involved ah I look interesting. At it. okay transaction okay yeah sig you're nodding you agree with that i think it's an interesting way of looking at it because i mean a lot of these actions regardless of what they are shed transactional data right so if i do post in higher logic i mean there's a transaction involved right i mean there's a, there's transactional data that i can go look at later and see Money's a good way to, might be a good differentiation point. So here, because here's what I've learned uh, in, this, in this endeavor, in this area, is there's a different mindset of a member that does something for free, like that does something that's included, like posting to the forum or the community versus someone who actually pays money. That's a step up. I've seen people that'll leave your association over just posting stuff because that's important, but they're not paying anything for it. It's, you know, they, they forgot the post they made the last six months. But if they're paying money for something that's meaningful to their business, they're not as likely to leave you. So to me, there's a definite difference between the two. That's why we put them in as information only members and transactional members, because you approach them totally differently. It's really the whole gamut of like, when we 
talk about engagement. We're really trying to take somebody from an area where they're basically taking from the organization, right? They're, they're going on your website, they're getting things for free, maybe they're doing some free stuff to working. Now they're more actively involved. They've signed up, they're paying for dues. So then they're really involved, like maybe they're, you know, on the board or something like that. And your, your, your goal for whatever you're trying to do here is trying to get them over to that side. All right. So, so we've got the behavioral and transactional may or may not be blurred lines. I, I think the audience here is actually helping me understand this better than you guys. Uh, transactional, but I, I think the consensus here is transactional tends to be more goods and services versus the behavioral is more the things you're doing in an organization. So that, that for me, that's really helpful. But what I really, really am interested in right now is this idea of the contextual data, because it's something that we don't, number one, we're not storing anywhere, right? Like the transactional and behavioral data that's in our AMS, that's in our LMS, that's in our, you know, Feather is even tracking stuff like that. There's, there's all the, that, that's in the community. That's the behavioral and transactional data, but there's nowhere, well, until Propio where we're storing contextual data, which answers the question of why. So I love like that to me is obviously I'm pretty invested in it, but that's something that I think is really exciting. Uh, Sig, can you challenge me with that? Like, is there, how are people currently gathering contextual data if they don't have a system to do it or store it in? You can try to establish context by examination of large amounts of, I feel like through examination of large amounts of data. And I think the example that kind of resonates with me is I was at CESSE, I had rented a car, which I don't usually do. And I went and pumped gas in a gas station there. Before I had the gas pump into my car, I had a phone call from American Express saying, hey, are you in Omaha pumping gas? And I was like, yeah, I am. And they're like, well, you know, if you had paid for your plane ticket in your rental car on American Express, we wouldn't be calling. We would know that inherently. And so then, you know, I've been in different discussions with different people that are like, oh, yeah, they must have an algorithm that looks for you pumping gas somewhere else. And that's a potentially a crime. And my thought is, no, they don't have an algorithm for that. What they have is something bad has happened. Someone is illegally using a credit card. And by sifting through insane amounts of data, they can backtrack to what typically leads to that. Because if you do the first one that I talked about, you come up with what you think they're trying to do. You better be a really good criminal to think of every single thing that they might be doing versus let's just see what was the end goal, which is like try not to have crime and backtrack on what typically leads to crime by sifting through tons of data to establish context for when a crime is happening. It could be something crazy, right? Like, okay, well, a 50-year-old male buys tea somewhere, you know, but at the end of the day, maybe that is a, a crime pattern, right? But you don't know about it, but you're looking at, you know, boatloads of transactional data to uh, put things together. Boatloads is right. There's it, <clears throat> have, absolute boatloads. There's some really good comments coming in here. Transactional is clearly to less interpretation, right? So, so there's, there's a lot of guesswork in all of this. And when there's behavioral data, you're guessing what transactions might transpire. Transactional tells you what transactions might transpire. All the while we're guessing why and what triggered them to do this stuff. And that's where contextual data comes into play. Somebody asked me to define contextual data and, and I'm gonna try a really rough job of this, but contextual data, data essentially is explaining why 
people are transacting or behaving? What led to them doing this? And contextual data is literally asking the questions at scale, like what's next? So it's not why they did something, or it's, it's also context around where they're going. And I think that's, that's a really good example. And I, I did not read your doctor blog, but I remember I had this one doctor. He was, he's a kind of a character, but he, he was very loud. And, you know, I would go in there and, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I've got this cough and, and you know, this and that, you know, he'd ask how I'm doing. And he, you know, he asked those kind of leading questions and then he'd be like, well, it's one of these three things, which one do you want to do? And I'm like, I really don't know. Cause I'm not in this profession. Why don't you tell me what to do? But regardless, it was that him asking those questions, he obviously observed, yes, you do have a cough. Yes, you have a temperature. But I need the context of everything else. Like, how exactly are you feeling? Do you feel really bad? Do you have body aches? All those things that really is not a, a data point. It's somewhat of a data point, but more of a contextual data point. It, it, you know, it's the why behind the behavior. It's, it's yeah. the challenges someone has. It's their interests in, and their intent. You can't get that out of the behavior or transactions, right? Can I translate some of that down to an association model? Yeah, let's do it. Can well, you just let the tech entrepreneurs talk, Tom? No, no. Right, go I'm going to bring no. you into. I'm going to bring you into suck you into reality. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, no, y'all. You, it's a great conversation here, but I like to bring things down to the ABCs of how does this work for an association. So the title of this thing was maximizing engagement with Industry 4.0, and if anybody doesn't know, Industry 4.0 is really the connection of people machines, process technology, and data info all together working in a seamless process to move stuff through a system from receiving to shipping. That's what it is in manufacturing. That's what it is in everything that we do in any industry. And, and I've lived this the last 15 years. MTI, my association, has grown over 2,600% with the same four people. We haven't added one more person because we've been able to maximize the Industry 4.0 before whatever was in it, even Industry 4.0. And we've led to 83% engagement of our members. Every 83% of our members are engaged at least one of our 13 touch points. According to marketing general surveys every year, that's about 64%. So we've been wildly successful at this because of how we use technology to do this. So here's my dream world. This goes to what SIG was saying. So we have an operational cost program and we have a annual, I mean, a monthly sales reporting program that spits out sales data where you can see as a member where you stand and rank to other members. You don't see their, the other members. You just see you're in a reporting district of 20 companies. You're number seven in terms of level of sales. So it's, it's great information. We'd like to get our members in our, in our, um, come in our meetings, doing our benchmarking programs and doing our, our online training. We got, we do over six figures in online training with only one person. It's amazing. We've tried to increase our services without increasing staff by using this technology in industry 4.0. And here's my dream world is to be able for a member to go in and we can say to a member, Hey, look, members that participate in our online training, come to meetings, and that are uh, in our benchmarking program have a 42% higher rate of growth in their annual sales because of being in those programs. That's going back to what SIG is saying that you're taking, and you're saying taking this data on behavior and translating into what we would like to do, which is how, show members quantitatively that you, would, you will have a vast improvement on your business. For years, associations have been saying, you know what? People that are members of an association and people that are engaged in the association have far better success than people that are on the outside and do not. Well, this is a way that we can actually quantitatively prove that because we've got the data in-house, but we just don't have all the systems connected to connect all those dots. So that to me is where getting it down to the, the associations, determining what's your goals, where would you like your members to be, tracking the behavior to show what's the difference between someone that's engaged in those programs and not, and be able to communicate that in a story that says, look, I need to get engaged because I want 42% more in sales. 
Because here's what most companies are doing, Dave. They're simply comparing themselves to last year's figures. And that's not good enough. Because what if you were up 5% last year over this year, but the industry was up 15%? That'd make you say, well, why aren't we up 15%? That's where people are missing out by not utilizing industry 4.0 thought processes and engaging technology through each part of their organization to maximize engagement. Because like you said, on calling every member, we don't have enough people to scale engagement where we make personal phone calls to find out where members are at, what they need, and what we would like them to do. or what, Tom, like. what, what was that 42% statistic again? No, I, I, I was, it was just an example of saying that, you know, if we had the dream system that could go out there and look at all of our members and our online training and our meetings and our benchmarking programs and be able to communicate that members that are in those have a 40% higher growth rate in their annual sales than those that do not. Okay. I just want to define something. Tom used the, the term industry 4.0. I didn't know what that was. And I forgot we, <laughs> we actually put it in the title of this when we're inviting people. But industry 4.0 is very, very specific to manufacturing. And Tom, what you're doing, and, and you're in the manufacturing industry, mm -hmm. Metal Treating Institute, right? So that you probably heard yeah. about this in some seminar somewhere. Uh, any, uh, anyway, so yeah. you, you actually introduced this concept to me. It's essentially a smart factory, right? It's taking technology and well, the definition here that I found on online somewhere, not Wikipedia, but somewhere else says, it's a current trend of automation and data exchange and manufacturing technologies. It includes cyber physical systems, the internet of things and cloud computing and all the other buzzwords that we'd like to talk about right now, but essentially it's a smart factory. What you're suggesting is we can take that concept and apply it to how we're managing memberships and associations. Absolutely. And I, man. I love I mean, that. Yeah. An, an attorney's office, a doctor's office, any, there's no business that doesn't have people, machines, processes, technology, and data info. Yep. Those are the common threads for every organization. Industry 4.0 is the connection of all that to where you have the least amount of human labor that helps your system be successful. What do and you, what do you want to say about this, Sig? I think that the real value is what Tom is talking about is there is a set of things that happen or that are done that lead to a result. So Tom was talking about there's a 42% increase in sales and we can show that that is due to these three things. And the very fact that we are looking at the sales and then some things we think made that happen and go, I think is something that's going to get disrupted a little bit. So for example, there might be a whole bunch of things that's going on in Tom's organization that also lead to sales that he hasn't thought of. So I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. We implemented an artificial intelligence product into a, a military association that was having difficulty with member retention. And basically what it did is we pointed this at their largely transactional data. And we said, this is what we want to solve for is member, you know, tripping or not renewing. Here's a bunch of data we need you to look at. And we didn't say, we think people are tripping because they don't find it valuable or they don't, they live in the state or whatever. We didn't say any of that stuff to them. And this tool, and these are these modern artificial intelligence tools, basically in very, very short order, picked out the biggest one for not for member uh, non-retention. You know what it was? Death. <laughs> so we had to make some manual adjustments because people that are dying are not going to renew. Sounds but like after an excuse that, to me. In my association, they do. <laughs> you know what? There's an improvement there. But after that, it led to a lot of things that they hadn't thought about. And it broke them down and it showed this is what we see by sifting through these large data sets that no, that honestly, I looked at it. I don't think anybody on the staff would have picked most of that stuff out and led to it. 
And then the beauty of it was that they also used the process tool to then, you know, okay, if this person is really not going to sign up, we need to have someone call them. If they're just on the verge of, you know, their score is low, you know, it'd it rank them. If their score is like, hey, they might not renew, we'll put them on some kind of uh, automated path. But to me, that's kind of the future is that just like that gas station example, someone didn't say, hey, they're in this area and that's likely to be a crime. You know, they're pumping gas, not in their home state. That's likely to be a crime. That system figured it out on its own. It looked at possible crimes and it's like, where's the location and all these different things. And then it's like, okay, well, now we know that if, if we see this pattern behavior happening again, and they have a powerful enough system to go sift through this stuff so quick enough. And when I put my credit card in and pulled the gas pump out before that happened, I got a phone call. That's, I think, is where this type of data is going to be most valuable. But taking, right. that, taking, taking that real quick, Dave, back to the practical example, think about you join an association and you get an email that says, hey, guess what? People that join the association and then get in our online training program experience an 8% greater growth in sales. When they go on the training program, hey, guess what? People that are in our training program and our benchmarking program, our ops cost program, experience a 22% raise in their sales per employee. Going back to what Six says, behavior is somebody does another behavior, the artificial intelligence and, can, and that stuff can work to automate and send engagement messages to your members to help move them along from program to program, thereby scaling your engagement efficiencies. All right, so what right. we're talking about now is, and we've made a transition that I'm, I'm hearing a transition that we're going from data to what do you do with the data? To me, this is where it gets really exciting because it's easy. Somebody said here, uh, horizontal integration of data can be considered an indicator for more effective growth. The huge gap in between data leading to growth. Data leads to the knowledge, which then leads to actions which then leads to growth. And the actions that we're talking about, if you have a lot of members, in many, many cases, they have to be automated, right? And so we're talking about what, what we refer to as workflows. Mm -hmm. And workflows don't always have to be technology driving a workflow. A workflow might simply be making a human interaction more efficient as well. So this is what I love is now if we take data and we're processing it correctly and putting it into workflows, the workflows can improve the transactions, the efficiencies, the regularity, and it could be automated or it could be an efficient human process. Like SIG, instead of getting a text saying, hey, we see you're at a gas station, you might have just as easily had a human being call you because a workflow, an automated workflow alerted somebody, hey, we better call SIG, like OnStar, for example right? This is a perfect example of a human interaction-based workflow where there's your car crashes, the system then triggers a series of processes that let an operator know something's gone wrong. They get into your car, over the speaker of your car, now they're saying, hey, uh, Mr. Van Dam, are, are you okay? We got an alert. Mr. Van Dam, can you hear me? So now that's a human being now inserted into an automated process. It's I'll give you an awesome. example of one that awesome. happens to me almost every other week. Like you said, I, I'm involved with a, a product called Salesforce, which is a CRM, but they've got an app store with like thousands of apps. And so a lot of times when we're looking for solutions for customers, the first place we go is this app store. So I go to the app store, I look at their listing, I might go to their website, maybe down the line, I'll uh, download a white paper or something like that. And then like two weeks later, I'll be back and I'll be on their pricing page and my phone will ring. And somebody will say, hey, you know, you have any questions on the pricing of that product? And it's uncanny. But what has happened is if you look at these lead scoring tools, you know, maybe Marketo or Salesforce Pardot or those type of tools, they basically backtrack from something that they're trying to achieve. So you mentioned OnStar. You're trying to have your customers not die. 
this would be like we're trying to make this sale or in Tom's case, it's like we're trying to get them to maybe register for an event or something else like that. When you backtrack off of that, you can look at all the previous behaviors that led up to that and transactions that led up to that. And then it's up to you what the process is. So when I get this phone call, it has lead scored me as somebody that's going to buy right now and it's worth it enough that they're going to put somebody on the phone and they probably texted a sales rep saying, you need to call this person right now. So there's a separation between what are we trying to achieve, what leads up to that, and then what are we going to do about it and how quickly are we going to do something about it? So the question, Sig, is that creepy or is that smart? Is that It's both. Yeah, it's, it is. A little... And actually, the first time it happened to me, I was like, man, that is incredible. I was more, I started talking to the sales rep more about like, how did he get that message? Like, you know, how did you know that I was here? And he, he kind of explained it to me. And I'm like, Okay, now I see how these things are. So really let me ask you. Let action. me ask something right here, though. What's creepy about them? I and who cares? I see. For me personally, I could care less if someone's yeah. spending their time and worrying about what am I, where am I heading around? Because I'd re- I'd rather see a hundred percent of everything I'd like to be interested in buying than people flashing tons of stuff I don't want to be. So I actually enjoy the process of them tracking where I go and what I do because it's technology. You know, I'm with you on that. I mean, you know, it's like I use Chrome. It's like if you ever download your data from Google, it is terrifying. But I love the fact that I go into the Chrome browser and I type two characters and it's like brings up exactly what I was going to look right. for. I'm willing to trade that, obviously. Yeah. I'm still using the product mm-hmm. instead of going to DuckDuckGo or something like that where it doesn't have any information on me. Right. I, I agree. Generally speaking, I like the intelligence that organizations are using to present me with relevant information. In fact, that's what we're suggesting here. But the creepy part is you're really, I don't think people even realize how much privacy we're relinquishing for that. And that's the creepy part. You go to a website, most organizations do or can very easily know you just went to their website right now. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the creepy part. But somebody said it's creepy until it adds wanted value. And that's like, oh, cool. Thanks. But let's talk about relevance for a second, because what we're talking about is turning data into a relevant relationship. And I remember 10 years ago in our space, in the association space, the whole conversation was about relevance and losing relevance, right? So what you hear a little less of that because we're getting much, much better at providing a highly relevant experience. And we're doing that by utilizing data well, including contextual data. So anyway, that's just a point I wanted to make is all of this leads to creating a much more individualized, relevant experience as a member of an organization. And think, of, think about a good salesperson, like a really good, think of the last really good salesperson that you interacted with. I got one, yeah. They are using contextual data to the nth degree. Like a bad salesperson yeah. will come in and go, hey, look how great my software or whatever it is. And let me show you this feature. Let me show you this feature. Let me show you this feature. A very good one will sit and listen, ask probing questions, and, and determine, A, if they can add value. And if they can add value, show exactly how they're going, you know, the things that you related, just like a doctor, like my back hurts, all those things. Let me show you how we're going to address that. And it's, you know, in essence, whether it's member retention, you know, selling courses or whatever it might be, it's sales to a degree. And in a, in a, in a good, in good sales processes apply to that. Man, that is a good topic of and in, in itself is, is talking about associations and how they embrace this concept of marketing and sales because oh, uh, based on, and I, Sig, you and I can speak to the fact that if you're in business, especially outside of the association space, sales and marketing is considered to be an exceptionally 
important thing in the organization. And I don't think, I don't think associations even consider no. sales a part of their organization. They consider marketing a part of it. Market, every association is a marketing team, but very few associations have a sales team. And you know what? The phrase that I absolutely love is nothing gets done until something gets sold. And so in associations, it's often a dirty word that like, oh yeah, they're trying to sell me a membership or anything else like that. It's like, well, you know, that's what we do. And hopefully whatever the membership that we're going to sell you or the course that we're going to sell you is going to change your life. And here's how it's going to happen. You know, but if you don't buy it, we can't help you. But in that, so in, listen, that in, in that mode, though, if I could break in real quick, Dave, in that mode, though, Sig, the reason people are trying to sell memberships is to me, engagement solves everything and engagement leads back to value. They have to join before they can be engaged. So the value, though, but do you have perceived value or do you have actual value? And there's a ton of associations that have perceived value and COVID magnified that in a heartbeat because the two things every association typically tells people is your number one benefit is in-person in networking and government advocacy. Well, COVID took both of those pretty <laughs> much away. So what was left? Nothing. You know, and for our association, we had this uh, engaging session in 2005 where we said if, if members don't come to meetings and don't like writing their legislator, what do we have to offer? So we created a value proposition for those members, which then gave everybody a great value. So that's what members have to be doing right now, what associations is analyzing their current set of value. Is it perceived, is every benefit perceived or actual? Like you said, is it something that can change the trajectory of their business or their society to the good? That's been my passion obsession since 2015 is really making sure that our value as an association is far beyond and it actually is like a mandate from their management. We cannot drop that membership because we get too much good from it. And that's where a lot of associations are struggling in that endeavor, at least right now with COVID. Well, you get a lot of checkbook members, right? That like I'm actually in a local chamber of commerce here, which I take advantage of absolutely nothing that they do. However, they do do that lobbying that I find is, is very valuable, but it is something that I'm probably less loyal than the person that is actually doing something with them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they, and I've told them this square up, you know, you need to provide something more relevant and tangible to me. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting, Sega Chamber just recently signed on with us and they're using, um, gosh, I, I, everything's turns into a sales pitch for me, but they're using PropFuel to identify just that, like how can they actually start to create a relevant interaction with their chamber members and with the prospects that are not. It's hard. It's hard. I, we, th this group that, that I'm a member of, I actually had their entire executive team in a few years ago. And I went through every single thing that they had. So they had like, you know, uh, this background check that you can get background checks. They had health insurance. They had some other things like that. And then they also, I, I had with me a paper directory. And I go, this, the only reason it's here is because typically I get it and I literally take it out of the package and throw it in the garbage can. But I knew I was meeting with you. So I wanted to tell you how worthless this is. And then, you know, I went through and I showed it, you know, here's, here's lynda.com. Here's the example of all the learning that you provide. Here's a background check software. It comes back in, you know, 10 minutes versus three days from you guys. All these different things. I'm like, you have to change your mix to something that's more relevant. You should be asking me, what do I really want here? Here's the number one question we've been asking our members that I, and I've been preaching this for five years as I speak around the country is the big question. You shouldn't be asking what keeps you up at night because what keeps people up at night, especially owners are things that frustrate them, but it's not actually what's wrong with their company. So every day your members drive to work with a mess, a ton of mess in their head about what is frustrating them and what, what's bothering them about their, their day and their business. And so to me, the number one question is when you look at your business model, Sig, when you look at what you do every day with your employees and yourself, 
where is the friction and the stress and anxiety in your business that just you say, you know what, I need to fix that? Because that's the big question, because now you're forced to think about what are the things that are wrong with your company that you need to improve on? Because that's where the highest pain points and value are for any association, because they're not, they got to identify the pain points where they can provide a potential solution. Without a doubt. It, right, and right. basically, the, the, the solution selling that I've done over my career has been based on what's called CBIs or critical business issues. It's like, what are your critical business issues? And let's, maybe we can't help you, but if we can help you, let's show, let us show you how we're going to tick off every one of those critical business issues that you listed to get rid of that friction and that anxiety. Right. And it's really, if you think about it, you know, there's, I think no matter what you're selling, right? I think there's like pretty much five reasons and only five reasons that people are buying, right? You're going to increase revenue. You're going to decrease cost. You're going to increase better the customer experience. You're going to reduce cycle time. In other words, maybe this, this software helps you process a membership quickly enough. Right. And then you're going to reduce risk and compliance. And those five things, you need to be able to push, you know, what, whether it's a membership or whatever it is, along those lines. And there has to be a clear solving of whatever that issue is. And that does take, in my opinion, you know, to Dave's point, con contextual data. So let, let me let me let me follow that up with last comment, man. We're gonna wrap it after this. We're going way All long. Right. No, no, last so, comment. So, so Sig Sig set this up very well because the, the greatest salesperson I know who is phenomenal, he teaches sales as well. He said, following up what Sig said, the only there's only two reasons when they understand what Sig said, there's only two reasons they do not make change and do something else. And it is number one, they're not aware the problem exists that you're trying to solve. So what are you doing to help them understand and see the problem clearly? Or secondly, they see the problem and they're aware of it, but they're not sufficient, the key word, sufficiently disturbed enough to want to make change. So what are you doing in your sales and marketing to not scare them, but give them the right data that, that all of a sudden they put their hand down and go, you know what? I'm ready to make change. Let's do this. We're not, <laughs> we're not selling that. We're not selling that sufficiently disturbed enough apart. Right. And you need to figure that if you do that, you'll see things begin to change in your process. I like the, the, second, the second one is hard to overcome. I mean, I sold association management software, which is basically like an ERP system in an mm -hmm. organization. And I'm actually stunned people buy association management software just because the, the switching is so painful. But eventually, there's something that they can't do or is the death of a thousand cuts just bullcrap that they deal with on a daily basis. They're like, that's so painful, but it's less painful than I'm going through now. And, and you have to help them show how this is going to move forward. The example that I use is my, you know, my mother loves to walk, you know, goes out every single day. Well, she's had some real heart problems and she had open heart surgery. And today she's walking, she's 86 years old, walks all over the place, but they cracked her sternum open. You know, it was brutal, right? But it's like, if you can help set that vision for like, hey, you know what? We're going to give you this training course to become better in metal coding or whatever it is. But here's where you're going to be but you're going to have to dedicate some nights and weekends and some pick and shovel work to get through this. If you can put that in context, I think it'd be very successful. So Dave, uh, one more question. There's going to be three comments. The comments here are your number one takeaway of this podcast. Tom, what do you want to say before we do that? All I want to say is that's why I think this Association Strong podcast is going to be phenomenal in the future because it's taken entrepreneurial spirit and showing association execs how to transition their association into that mindset for the future. It's going to help them grow and strong, be strong as an association executive. That's what's exciting to me in this whole process. Amen to that. So Sig, you're our guest. Why don't you go first? What's your number one takeaway? What's the residual message you want people to understand coming out of this? I think just like going to a doctor or, or being, you know, being a parent, you know, have, you have to really 
have contextual data to make a relevant experience. Tom? Many people in here are probably small, I know small associations hear this message and they're like, where the heck do I start? And it seems overwhelming. I go back to, we were four people who started this in 2015, 97% retention rate every year with 83% engagement. You get an, and 2,600% growth in our net worth. You can do it if you just got it, but you just have to start. Start on a spreadsheet, move forward, and begin to do small steps. And one day it mushrooms into something that you're going, man, this is phenomenal and it's caused us to have tremendous growth. But start small, you miss small. Thank you. For me, I, I think I agree context, understanding the why people are doing is, is critical, really mm -hmm. important and missing information today. Not at the expense of the transactional, I'm going to say slash behavioral data now, but that provides, that alone isn't good enough. Now that provides the knowledge and then we need automated workflows and actions that either feed humans or machines steps to do. So the data is only one component of the overall process. You need the data, which then translates into automated processes in order to really service our members the right way. With that, I want to thank you, Sig. I really appreciate you joining yes, us. It's been awesome. Yeah, Thanks for having me. We got to do this more, Tom. I think I, we're, I think people are going to get sick of hearing just our voices. We got to bring people like Sig in to, <laughs> to, to broaden our experience. So with that, that's a wrap for this episode. We're done. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.